What's going on, guys? Welcome to the show. Welcome to another Wednesday afternoon. I'm Ben Bateman here to talk to you about action movies. It's episode 101. We are covering, yes, you heard it correctly, Guardians of the Galaxy. And it is a superhero film. We're going to explain to you why right now. Come hang out with us. We'll see you in one second. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's action movie anatomy. Boom! Oh, it's a different vibe. It's no Still Dre. Oh, holy shit, Chris Pratt's here. Oh my god. What is it like being married to Anna Faris? It's, it's pretty great. Pretty, pretty happy about it. What's up, guys? Welcome to the show. Welcome to Action Movie Anatomy on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon. We're here to talk to you, the people, about action movies. And it's episode 101. You're like Uncle Sam today. Yeah. It's the second time. A lot of pointing? Yeah. Ha! <laughs> Bang! <laughs> Dude, the brotherhood, the trio, the wolf pack is back together. Oh yeah, yeah. this is this is the first show we did we did like a secret Batman yeah. Yeah. or Gotham. It's out there. It's <laughs> out there. You I'm find much it. larger than I am now. <laughs> he uh, was uh, he was in hibernation. I was in hibernation. Yeah, we did uh, the very first thing we ever did on camera together, Ben and I, and well Alex as well. This, yeah. Guys, this is Alex Kessler. Alex Hi, Kessler, welcome to the show. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, Star Lord, like, Star Lord, please. Star Lord, excuse me. <laughs> Was Star Star Captain? What is it? Star? What, what do they have written on his uh, his cell? Oh, oh, a Star Prince? Is that what it is? <laughs> Something like that. Uh, we did a Gotham recap show for when the Gotham series came out on what CW? No, it's no, Fox. No, no, Fox. It's Fox yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, two years ago. Yeah, it was two it was and a half. Three the years best ago? thing that we came up with with the entire thing was the title. It was called Gotham's Finest. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. And that was great. And like true story. Uh, so let's just do the quick introductions. Alex Kessler, where can the folks find you if they want to follow along? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at. Uh, Kess Wiley or on our other podcast that we have if you like really nerdy things it's a good place to we go we do Magic the Gathering because yeah. you've heard me talk about it's it. called Masters Modern, Modern. Uh, you guys can find me at Andrew Guy and uh, at AMA Podcast of course you guys can find me at Ben Bateman Media and also on the Nerdy Magic the Gathering podcast we do but long story short <laughs> in the very beginning uh, Andrew and I were like we should do some kind of content online because we should do something and we were like getting into hosting and it was like alright the Gotham show's coming out after shows are pretty popular this is before I ever knew about AfterBuzz TV at we all. like Batman yeah, so we <laughs> called up Kessler, and he used to run this company called Webisodes Network, where I played a vampire on a show uh, called Top Decking. I had all the gear, and so we were like, Alex, have, yeah. <laughs> do you want to do like a recap show for Gotham at premieres? And he's like, sure, let's do it. So like, unlike this place, where there's like a TriCaster and multiple cameras, and the thing streams live to tape, it's like oh, really yeah. easy. We went in with multiple cameras and lights and sat down and filmed it and then sat in an editing bay for like seven hours all night to edit the yeah, first like episode. We would, ben and I would walk out. Like Alex would leave when he was <laughs> finished because he was like, look, I'm letting you guys use my space, my equipment, and I've helped you on the show. It's awesome. <laughs> Editing's on you guys. So Ben and I had never edited before. Yeah. Uh, really. And so we would. 18 hours later. Oh, my God. We would leave there at like five in the morning. Yeah. And by the time we would post our after show, it wasn't relevant news anymore. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was, it was funny. That one was like was an fun. interesting. Uh, interesting uh, first run at it and then you know obviously years later we do this magic podcast we're very here. successful magic podcast yeah so uh, that's the deal that's the story guys anyway no. welcome to the show we're talking Guardians of the Galaxy so a couple things first of all we're on the Popcorn Talk Network the yep. online broadcast network dedicated to talking movies all things movie related and pop culture uh, big pop culture all things pop culture so um, we had a policy on this show on Action Movie Anatomy for a long time yeah I was trying to I was trying to like talk my way around it today yeah 
we used to say that we wouldn't cover superhero films. So, guys, when we started Action Movie Anatomy two years ago... We were dumb. We were young. (laughs) (laughs) The idea was that we didn't want to bring in franchises that had a lot of, like, preconceived IP. That people could watch them and be like, oh, I know all about Batman, so I know where this story's going. Like, we didn't want that to be the thing, so... Yeah, and we also didn't want to put out content that a million other people were covering every single week. And superhero stuff is very common. It's heavily covered. It's a saturated market right now. What we found after 100 episodes of AMA is that most of our favorite movies in the genre, outside of the superhero genre, we've now covered. There's a handful left that we like, but we felt that at this point we have the audience, you guys that watch and listen and love the show, and you probably really like those movies just like we really like those movies. We don't need to pander and appeal to an audience that has no idea where we are anymore. We have an audience. Yeah. You guys want to hear us talk about movies that are awesome, and Guardians of the Galaxy is fucking awesome. So that's the deal. It's a good thing that I can swear now. Oh yeah, we can't swear. Yeah, we can definitely swear on the show. And uh, and we're past 100 episodes, so it's like we're at episode 101. What a great way to start! Thank you so much. Yeah. Other than two. Start with a superhero movie. We figured episodes 101 through 200, we would open up the playing field a little bit more. We would allow ourselves to cover movies that... I mean, let's be honest, guys. The modern-day action movie is the superhero movie. That's what happened. It, right. it changed. Yeah. I mean, if you look at Captain America, especially the Captain America movies, they're basically you know spy versus spy thriller movies yeah. that like we've transcended into now superhero movies are this plus another genre and a lot of them are mostly action movies absolutely and so that felt fair for us to get into and Guardians is a very special and a very important one within this genre so we felt that it was a good one to kick off it's one of your favorite movies of all time right Kessler? oh yeah I mean I I (laughs) I think it's pretty evident (laughs) dressed up like a goddamn (laughs) moron wearing a dress (laughs) yeah do you have a problem with that I also have a romp him at home he's got a uh, gun too (laughs) So, uh, yeah, we're here to cover We're here to cover Guardians Um, The movies we cover on the show here are four basic rules So this is where I think probably it gets murky Because the rules are supposed to be for the old genre And uh, they are rule number one The hero always plays by their own rules Definitely Star-Lord plays by his own rules No question Yeah, Yeah, he's a Han Solo type of character Rule number two The hero and the villain are always the smartest people Beings, things, aliens, dinosaurs, what have you in the room I mean, he's not the smartest guy in the room But it's a team It's not really just a movie about him so, like, the smartest guy in the room on the Guardians is, like, he's, he, he like, Rocket, I guess? Yeah. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, Or Gamora. He, like, <clears throat> yeah, she's, yeah, she's, she's smartest in a warrior perspective, and he's smartest in, like, he can reprogram any computer into right. becoming a gun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but we always talk about this on our show of, of like, uh, you know, the classic lethal weapons. There's, you know, the nice guys. There's these, these combos of characters, and that's what's so great about the Guardians of the Galaxy is that they've gotten these four radical personalities. Yep. And put them into one great hero. Totally. You know? Five. Five. I think rule number two, we can pretty pretty fiercely agree, is just, like, not... It's a different... It's a whole different thing. It's a team. It's just, like, a team dynamic. Sure, but, like, I mean, he's the smartest guy in the room in the sense that he'll always luck out and survive and get to the end and have the right answer. I mean, like, he answers the end of the movie with something ridiculous and really dumb, but it totally works. The dancing and the singing. Rule number three, the movie is driven by a police, military, political, or mercenary figure... Uh, again, he's a mercenary. He's a mercenary. He is a mercenary. mercenary. Yeah, the Ravagers are mercenaries. 100%. Strong point. And rule number four, the movie contains a minimum of one explosion. Every Marvel movie ever will contain a minimum of one explosion. Mm -hmm. It's like impossible not to. Um, So yeah, that's the deal. That's the rules of the show. Um, I suggest we we move straight into the trailer for the film, and then uh, then we'll get into the thesis statement after that. What do you guys think? Sounds good. Um,
Hey, cool man. No problem. No problem at all. Who are you? Star Lord. Who? <laughs> Star Lord, man. Legendary outlaw. Forget it. We arrested these five on Xandar. Check out the rap. So sweet that John C. Rowley's in this movie. Yeah, yeah he's great. Yeah. the Destroyer. Since his wife and family were killed, he's been on a rampage across the galaxy in his search for vengeance. Gamora, soldier, assassin, wanted on over a dozen counts of murder. Rocket, wanted on over 50 charges of vehicular theft and escape oh, from lockup. I just said for time's sake, it'd be better to do it. has been traveling recently as Rocket's personal houseplant slash muscle. Peter Jason Quill. He's also known as Star-Lord. Who calls him that? Himself, mostly. He's wanted largely on charges of minor assault, public intoxication, and fraud. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't know how this machine worked. The movie. There's a lot of stuff in the trailer that's not in the movie, yeah. too. They were saying, yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Oh, this mine. song is the first favorite song I ever had. Really? Yeah. So, uh, my mom so really liked the Reservoir Dog soundtrack. Yeah. And it was like, right I would now. the Guardians of the Galaxy. What a bunch of a-holes. <laughs> so, where would the Gamora scene have come? Like, what it would, wouldn't have come. It would have been like I'm, someone creepily walking in on her changing. Like maybe in the prison like or something? Like she's changing in outfits? Yeah, that, was, uh, that would be probably where it is. Right? Is when they're like... Yeah, I guess. When they try and murder <laughs> her. That could have been a different part where they're all... Because remember they're like, she's in the prison and then right. like, Drax shows up and that's when Drax joins the group and yeah. he's the guy who has his favorite knife taken. Yep, fair. Um, Alright guys, so we are going to move into the next part of the show guys And if you watch it or listen, you know how this works We come up with a bold thought Something almost rooted in hyperbole A big <coughs> idea that ties to this film Something you could kind of like defend at a party Should be big, should never be this is my favorite this Or whatever, it should really be the greatest this The only this, the first this, X, Y, and Z Something like that And uh, I think we should just get straight into it So uh, Alex Kessler is the guest of the show Do you want to start this one out? Yeah, sure, so, so my thesis statement is that uh, James Gunn uses... This is the best example of a movie using music as a actual character in movie history. Ha <laughs> it's funny you say it that uh, way. Uh, yep. We, I wish you would not have said character, because I, <laughs> I would have agreed with you. <laughs> but since you said character, I have to disagree. Um, and I know what you're going to disagree I with. I know exactly what you're um, I think you're close to being exactly correct, but then again, it's your thesis, so you can defend yeah, the shit out of it. Absolutely. It's, all, it's on you to defend it. So weird that swearing <laughs> is allowed on camera. <laughs> yeah, it's great, right? Uh, Fuck. Okay, so the thing that I think is... Yeah, right? Just get it out. <laughs> uh, the thing that I think is so true about your statement is that the music in this film is one of the most impactful uses of music in a film ever. Yeah. In my opinion. Why do you use the word character? I use character because... It has an emotional arc through the movie. It causes mm -hmm. emotional characters to... It causes other characters to react and have growth. And on top of that, there were multiple moments where the music was saved as if it was a character. Like, his actual... The album he's listening to the, the movie... Walkman, yeah. The Walkman, he 
sacrifice almost risks his entire life just to get that Walkman and the music back. And then the biggest, most emotional, probably second most emotional reveal in the movie is at the end when he gets the second tape. And there's there's an entire other twelve songs that my mother came to me. And you could maybe argue that the music is actually his mother. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's really what the character is. But I would say then that this is the best time someone has personified a character using music. It's like a really good point you made. It is a really good point. Because the one that we would argue is music in a scene. It's a specific scene's use of music. Yeah. As opposed to... Well, I, I mean, it might even be uh, throughout the whole movie yeah. as well. I definitely think so. But I will give you that giving the... Embodying the character in the Walkman makes it a genius point. Yeah, it definitely it, does. It, and I completely agree with you now. A hundred percent. I think I think that the that use of, Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, no, that's a good point. Because because the fact that you actually make it into a character by using it as a Walkman, and if you go and you watch the second one, you see how important this item is to Star Lord. Right. You do realize that it is it's not about just the music. It's about his mother and all that. But yeah, I think the fact that there's actual physical thing on film that we all feel attached to throughout both movies. That's a great point. Yeah, because I, I think really like that. I think that the idea that the way they set it up get off that, my show. <laughs> <laughs> the way they set it up, where the Walkman exists early, and then he, the fact that he has to go back to get the Walkman mm-hmm. makes you feel like okay, if he doesn't get the Walkman, the good vibes we're getting from this movie, yeah. the like the way this movie's going is going to change. Right. So it's like he has to get that Walkman, and if he doesn't get that Walkman, we don't get what this movie feels like. It, the, it goes off a cliff. Yeah, the movie opens with him looking at the Walkman yeah. and then his mom giving him the gift and then dying in front of him. <laughs> Sad scene too, that opening scene. Yeah, which got, oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Jonas Tiger just said Pulp Fiction and Goodfellas, you know, there's a lot of movies that have great uses of music but again, yep. I think the, using the word character is the most interesting point of that whole thing. Yeah, because my original thesis that is similar to that was I was going to say this is the greatest use of commercial music in a genre film ever. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think you, Kessler, you and I were having this conversation right. yesterday about like, what about biopics? Then how do you, if you just say movie, it's like how do you not? How do you like? Of course, the use of a music of music in like Ray is more integral to Ray than the use of music in this movie because you literally can't make the movie without it. Right. Right. But Ray is the music. Right. He's the character, which is why I think genre is so important because like seventies pop songs in a sci-fi movie is like such like that's not what you would expect at all and they make it work beautifully and, and, and you know this kind of harks back because uh, I was thinking about it afterwards and, and Hooked on a Feeling is probably where I kind of made the connection I would say Tarantino may especially in his early films or the middle films did a better job maybe than this movie of incorporating unheard of songs or incorporating right. into the movie than this did but those weren't a character in that movie that there wasn't like an emotional connection to what the music was doing throughout mm-hmm. it and so it's more just how every movie uses music which is a different version of using it than what this is doing we should clarify by the way because Andrew and I just did not actually make specific reference to it we were talking about Boogie Nights oh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <I just laughs> which is to let you guys wonder forever <laughs> it's just it's, it's acknowledged that the drug deal gone bad scene in Boogie Nights is I think collectively we agree the greatest use of music in a scene ever yeah um, I think so definitely and is incredible and it's just go watch that movie. Watch <laughs> Fist, that bump, movie. <laughs> Fist Bump Films Weekly. We'll get to talk about that movie finally. All we want to talk about. Do something about that movie. Uh, I'm going to hop in with my thesis because I think it's it's an interesting one. I, like, I, I definitely think this is an interesting point. I think a lot of people are not going to like it or maybe they'll agree. I think that this is the greatest use of an A-lister's voice in disguise. Bradley Cooper disguises his voice so well in this movie. He's such a distracting person in anything you see him in yeah. because he's Bradley Cooper. Yep. He's beautiful. He's he's got a very uh cl- like clean charismatic look about him and he sounds like Bradley Cooper and everything he does. It's like all these guys Gosling, Pitt, they all have these things about the him. The voice, yeah. The voice. 
the intonation, the, the, the rhythm in which you speak. Cooper changes everything, yeah. which I think is incredible. And I think that if I were to have heard, like I hear him sometimes, it's, it's impossible to completely lose yourself. But I think if I were to hear him throughout the film, I would not have enjoyed the film even close to as much. I'd be like, what are you doing in here? You don't belong in these movies, Brad. I'm sorry. But the fact that he comes in as this character, this like weak, not weak, but you know, like the character that's yeah. like the world's against him. He's emotionally weak. He's emotionally yeah. weak. He puts off a strong fa- facade of yeah. anger uh, asshole. Anger asshole all the time because he's so hurt on the inside. But I just like, it's not Bradley Cooper to me. And I love that so much. Yeah, it's true. And I, I mean, the fact, not only just is he an A-lister, but the fact that he's like a handsome leading man A-lister playing that character yeah. in disguise makes it even better. I thought you were going to say Vin Diesel as Groot was uh, the number one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the more I read and learn about that, by the way, just the more... So crazy. It's insane, yeah. Because at first, you're like... At first, like, Vin Diesel as Groot, and you're like, really? You really needed to hire Vin Diesel? And then you're like, oh, he was on stilts? He's actually in the scenes? And then you're like, oh, he recorded the lines in, like, 19 different languages so he could have authentic in all the different markets? Says it over a thousand times per language? Yeah, I was like, Like, all right, I guess if... I guess I'll give more credit. And then, like, when you think about it, you're just like, yeah, I mean, he really does create a very memorable character. The performance completely... I mean, like, we're going to talk about our favorite line in the movie eventually. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to get to a little bit more of that. But he he thoroughly... There's a reason he did it so many times, and it comes across. Yeah. The work that they put into that character is, is pretty apparent. And I think it's so cool that, it, like, Vin specifically spoke about how this kind of brought him back from the dark side after yeah. Paul died, and, like, how Groot's look on life and his nurturing aspect and outlook on life is, like, it made him happy again. It made him, like, love a character and it brought him back to wanting to act again. But but back to your, your point that Bradley Cooper, moving beyond Vin Diesel's... Mm-hmm. Uh, um, is the best of this. I guess the one challenge that I have to that that comes to mind is Mark Hamill's Joker. Okay. Mm. Where I didn't know until I became a person who was into looking at who played who in animated films that Mark Hamill was the Joker. And, you know, beyond Guardians of the Galaxy, Star Wars, and the Batman animated series are obviously very, you know, integral to my childhood and growing up. And the fact that I had no... Yeah. Animated series is, like, legendary. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So the Um, fact that you, like, don't know that that's Luke Skywalker who's the Joker through that entire experience is pretty impressive. Um, Beyond that, I I, I don't know if I disagree with you too much. No, I I, I like that. I think that's a really good point. My my counter to that is that, like, Mark Hamill's not an A-lister. He is Luke Skywalker. He's one of the greatest, most famous people of all time. Everyone knows who he is. For the most part, that makes you an A-lister? Not really anymore, unfortunately. Um, But I do get what you're saying, and I think him as the Joker is incredible. But Mark Hamill and Bradley Cooper were never in the same stratosphere other than for like... I mean, even as Luke, it still wasn't the same type of thing. It wasn't like, okay, now that he was Luke Skywalker, he can be anything. It is, it is weird that he his career, and I know, Alex, you're the... I've always st- thought this, though, too, what you're about no, to no. say. It's weird that his career was, like, if you think about it, compared to anybody now who's in three parts of, like, the biggest franchise, like, nobody's career ends after three, and he basically has one other significant thing in his career that he's done that happened like a decade sure. later basically yeah. and like but he's Luke Skywalker how did Mark Hamill not have it, like this well, massive so, career so there's like reason he's kind of the prime example of the typecasting where they like exactly. and this happened a lot and what happened was agents got better it wasn't Mark. It wasn't the era. It was that, I literally like, just that thought technology. you said Asians got Asians better. Got better. Yeah, I was like, I know we did. <laughs> um, but it, it, it's more that like they learned their lesson, and so you had a situation where they had Mark Hamill, and they're like, oh, you're Mark Hamill, and you're Star Wars, and directors were like, oh, we don't want to work with you. And, and yeah. a combination of 
PR companies learning how to use that in the correct way to sell the next movie and not make it distracting that they're in it. And agents getting better at making sure while Mark Hamill was in Star Wars that he was doing six indie darlings that same year so that people are not, oh, that's Luke Skywalker. Right. Oh, that's Mark Hamill, that's Mark actor Hamill. I like in these six things. Right. Um, yeah. And there's the fact that he was young and you know Mark Hamill probably got much better at acting between Empire and Batman than he did between Star Wars and Empire. And For so sure. that helped and hurt him. Yeah, I think I think so. Bringing it back to your thesis in the first place, I think that the Cooper conversation is really interesting. It's yeah. hard to come up with. I mean, shit, you could really say you could literally have said Vin Diesel, and it would have been almost like the same thesis statement because they're both like, they're, oh yeah, they're both such crazy. I didn't know either of them were the voices before the movie at all. Even after I watched it the yeah. first time, <laughs> before looking up and or seeing, yeah, before credits. I had yeah, no yeah, idea. Yeah. You had the you had the Vin, oh Vin Diesel's in that movie. Where was it? I had the Bradley. Co- oh my god, Bradley Cooper's Rocket. And then I was like, wait, what? Vin, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Vin Diesel's. In- oh, and then I was like, oh, I feel like a dumbass. Yeah, it took me <laughs> obviously until, was in the movie. It took me until doing all the research for the movie. Yeah, today to, <laughs> to actually acknowledge that what Vin Diesel had done in this movie was remarkable. It didn't occur to me that for that sure. wasn't just fully CGI and just like a couple of like samples. And they're like, oh, Vin Diesel gets to have a part yeah, in this yeah, movie. Like yeah. six I am Groots in the lockdown. Yeah, yeah, yeah walking yeah. with pajama pants. It like didn't occur to me that like that was actually like a big role that he took very seriously. And I like, know, was, I was reading that he was on stilts. I was like, really, dude? And I was like, well. I was like, that's awesome. Like, I went through this full cycle in, like, 10 seconds. And part of that is also, like the sound of it works better if you're on because the way like the room picks up and the way things react to it and the way that sound is recorded by yeah. people's mics is because he's on stilts so yeah. his voice is going to have yep. a different weight to it if he's higher up than if he's just yeah. on the ground it's why and also just people's eye lines that's like as someone who has like had to do in top decking we did two um, like a, one actor played twins of each other oh, right. and like oh. we had to refilm a scene six times because we just were learning eye lines at that point and just that part alone is a huge it's, deal it's true I mean like after filming and all that like seeing the technical side of all that shit it is crazy alright I want you I want you to jump in with your thesis because I have something here I want to talk about in yep. the chat um, so go ahead alright guys so my thesis and it's one that I've talked about on the show here before is that Guardians of the Galaxy is one of the five most important comic book films ever made um and I, I've, I brought this up. We've had this conversation. I've had it with you. I've had it with you. I've had it with Twitter. Um, we have names, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> Mine's a you, and you're you. Yeah, I'm you. You, yeah. Star Lord. Um, and uh, it, it's it, it is Star Lord, guys. It is because, in essence, the reason that this is such an important film is that we're now in an era where the investment behind one of these movies, if you're going to do it properly, is hundreds of millions of dollars, like several hundred million to make one, and then marketing you're spending hundreds of millions like 300 to 400 million to get this thing out there so to put it behind a franchise as nondescript as the Guardians of the Galaxy and again I've talked about this as a kid I read Guardians of the Galaxy comic books I remember the Infinity Gauntlet like I have the comics in my mom's basement and they're Yes, the very the very one, and uh, where the where the fuck did they come from? <laughs> and they're weird comics. They're not comics that I ever would have read. And they're like, oh yeah, Marvel's gonna be able to make a successful movie off of this. Like the risk behind making this movie and its potential to flop and completely turn the industry off of ever taking any property outside of like the big seven or eight yeah. was so great. And nothing about this movie should have been good. Like like nothing. Chris Pratt, not a. Not a famous person before this movie. Gunn didn't even want to watch his audition. Right. He didn't even want him to audition. Yeah. yeah. I know. He was 60 pounds heavier than it was when he made the movie. When he auditioned. Like, the fact that this movie happened... Look, I've been 60 pounds heavier. <laughs> <laughs> There's videos of it. We There's talk a about, show. Uh, it's called, called Gotham's, Gotham's Finest. Finest. <laughs> um, so, 
that to me is why this movie is so important. Now, you're not going to be able to convince me that all time is more important than several of the others. And I do have a list here. And I, we all, I think, put a list together. But it's, it is a remarkable feat that this movie was as good as it is and as important as it was. Because, like, they're making a second Suicide Squad, guys. The first one sucked. And the only reason the first one even happened is because Guardians of the Galaxy was successful. God, that movie was well, so bad. <laughs> I mean, part of that... I mean, it's not necessarily... That movie was going to happen either way. That wasn't because of Guardians. But what made that movie exceptionally like a cardinal sin against humanity was a combination of Deadpool and Guardians. Because, like, Guardians comes up and it's like, oh, this this is what a fun movie is like. Because at that point, they're making, like, a serious, like... Like, it was like... There was, like, two jokes. The first trailer had all the total jokes in the entire movie. Right. But then that trailer did well after Deadpool a month before that did Gangbusters well and they're like oh we have to add jokes reshoots and have the trailer company edit the movie I know that's the worst decision ever (laughs) anyway so that's my thesis statement is that Guardians of the Galaxy is one of the five most important comic book movies ever made Uh, I think we should get into a discussion you said you wanted to bring up the chat I can agree with that yeah I just want to talk about something really quick and um, a lot of people in the chat a lot are talking about Batista Inspector yeah what do you guys think about that and the use of him and like him falling flat in that and like why do you think he was so flat in that, and then this, he's like, he's the star. He's my favorite part of the entire He's franchise. a lot of people's favorite part. Uh, I would say he's probably the best part of Spectre, though, also. Not that that movie that is movie good. Was horrible. It's horrible. bad. Like, that's yeah. not an comp. Like, it's. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> We watched it intending to do it on the show and then audibled into Casino Royale because Spectre was, was so, so bad. bad. Yeah. yeah. Um, Casino Royale is great. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people <laughs> say that he's. Okay, so I think that's. I'll stand with that. He's yeah. the best part of Spectre. Yeah, I he, just he's like I remember a classic, so yeah, little about it. Good about yeah, it. Yeah, right. he, he Inspector. He's just like a big fighting thing on a train. Like he's, he's like an unkillable henchman in yeah. like classic Bond vein in a he's movie that fine. tried doing that everywhere. He's he, fine. Yeah, he didn't do anything wrong in his scene. He did effectively. I think what most people would have expected he would have done in a movie because right. it's not like he was a star actor. He was right. like a fighter, and he's so good in this movie. Uh, and in the second one, especially, he's, he's just hilarious. That he just he got it. He nailed it. And yeah. I think some of that's writing and directing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, yeah, when, yeah he, for when it sure. comes down to it, like his characters, some of the funnier lines of the movie are given to him, and yeah. that has a lot to do with his stone cold ability to just read lines straight. Right. While it's the most ridiculous things you probably hear, and that's a combination of all of those pieces together. Yeah, cool. I think. Yeah, I think Spectre just as a movie sucks. Yeah, I just <laughs> want to touch on it real quick because everyone yeah. was talking about it. So let's get into this conversation of our top five most important. Comic That's book movies? Comic book movies, which is a very... It's not favorite. It's most important. Yeah, it's what not it best, did it's at not the favorite. time. So this is the way I think we should do this, because I know this conversation could spiral into a long 25-minute tangent. I brought a knife. Uh, for the entire <laughs> episode, yeah. I think each of us should read our list, uh, five through one, defend it, and move on. And we will, and that way, we're not talking over each other. And if we want to dissect it at the end of the three, we can. But I think otherwise, you know, we're going to have similar lists, I'm assuming. So uh, who would like to start? I'm happy to if you guys aren't ready. If you, you brought up yeah, that why as don't your you thesis, do it? this your, is your thesis. This is your moment. Thanks, Andrew. <laughs> do you want the talking? Lovely. Do you want the talking Infinity Gauntlet? Yes, it's a lovely blast, Miss. Um, <laughs> you can wear it. Yeah, all right. It's like those hawk hawk gloves. Yeah, yeah. It's a Comic Con exclusive. <laughs> Pretty cool. Look at that. All right, so uh, <laughs> this feels really dirty and sexual. I'm taking this thing off. Um, <laughs> so uh, all right, get into your get into all right. your top five. Five through one. Here we go. Number five. Iron Man. Number four, Guardians of the Galaxy. Number three, Avengers. Number two, The Dark Knight. Number one, controversial pick here, 1989 Batman. That's and a good, I like that. Here is, here's my defense uh, as I go through the list. I'll start with number one, 89 Batman. 
as somebody who worked in the comic book industry for like five years as a teenager, I did a lot of research and I even wrote a treatment for a script at one point about like a family owning a comic book store. 4,500 comic book stores opened up between like 92 and 94. So the entire generation of people that went to see these movies that we're watching now, this tentpole generation of action movies, these basically huge comic book movies, they're all kids that grew up on the back of the popularization of comic books in the early 90s. The collectibles market of, of basically baseball cards and comic books came out of the success of 1989's Batman. You can go all the way back to Superman in, 70, in 78, but that's kind of a different thing. That's we made a superhero movie for the first time, mm-hmm. whereas Batman was we made a superhero movie that spawned action figures and cartoons and comic books and a whole entire industry. Comic books skyrocketed because of that Batman movie. So <laughs> even though the current generation of movies owes... More, I think, to some of these other films. It's that one that really starts what we have now all these years later, thirty, almost 30 years later. The people that are in their 30s and 40s and taking their kids to see these movies that are making these billion-dollar movies. I don't even think that's close to your most controversial pick on your top five. It's on my top five. Number two, Dark Knight, uh, <laughs> the most legitimate superhero or comic book film ever made that was popularized. Uh, I won an Oscar. I think everybody knows. We've talked about this movie endlessly. Dark Knight's amazing. I just It almost would be number one. It's just that at this point, the point has been rehashed so many times, it's hard to put it over Batman 89. Avengers is the extended universe movie. That's the one that brings all of them together. I think Avengers is great. It's not one of my favorites. I don't go back to watch that movie, but what it did for the industry and where we're at now. Do you think Avengers is more important than than, uh, Civil War was? Yes. Just because because it's the first time it brought together. It was was done poorly. Yeah, I mean, I, most people would disagree with that statement. People but love Avengers, that, but yeah, yeah. look, it's just the importance for what we have now. I mean, all of these extended universes of Kong universe and the Dark Universe—it's all owes to Avengers. That's where it all yep. comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, number four, Guardians of the Galaxy. For all the reasons I just said, I, I think you take a hodgepodge group of characters that nobody expected to be successful. The movie makes seven hundred million dollars plus worldwide. The the landscape for what you can do now in one of these movies is forever changed it'll never be the same and then number five Iron Man for obvious reasons it was the first one in the modern run of comic book movies Um, and I think more important than the other outlier choices like X-Men or like Spider-Man the early successes Marvel had in this kind of I guess 2.0 era if this is the 3.0 era whatever that's my five what do you guys got who wants to go second go ahead Kessler alright so I, I I actually I have Batman 89 as my number five uh, okay. I, I do think it complete it Comic books before that point, and specifically comic book movies, were campy. Superman was good; it was yep. great, but it was still campy. Yep. Um, and I do think that movie does a whole lot of things right, um, <clears throat> specifically in how to do a Superman movie. That's interesting. But Batman by Tim Burton was the first time we ever got a dark, serious, and in today's standards, it's campy, but dark, serious comic book movie. Mm-hmm. It yep. was taken seriously. Jack Nicholson, who was an amazing actor, was you know frontline, and, and so that, that's one of the reasons I definitely think it's in the top five most influential. Yep. Um, after that, I have actually Spider-Man one. Um, and I would separate that era of comic book movies and this current era's comic yeah, book it's a movies. Pre. Um, partly because that, and, and the thing that people forget about Spider Man One is it shattered every box office, box yeah. office record. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was massive. And like, it, two was two was incredibly successful. And like before yeah. that, X Men came out and Blade came out, and those were kind of the other two superhero movies of that era. Um, and those were like the first ones to show like, oh, we can do a comic book movie, guys. Punisher, and do more anyone? Than Fifty dollars. <laughs> oh yeah, well, that was eighty. That was like ninety two. <laughs> no, no, we're talking about the, <laughs> Tom Jane one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. ninety two. Yeah, the great one. <laughs> or early nineties. Uh, but Spider Man showed the world like, oh no, not only are comic book movies like good, but they're also a definitive venture that people started investing. Like you guys liked X Men, Spider Man's going to break the records. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and my phone died, so I can't read the rest of my list. But I know that also I have Superman on this list. <laughs> oh, you have Superman one. Yeah, yeah. Um, kind of similar. It's it's more yeah. it it's representative of the camp era 
to yeah. me, but it's the best of that camp era. Yeah. Um, and mm -hmm. I thought about putting Mask of Zorro because it's the first comic book movie ever, but when it really comes down to it, culturally significant, like, Superman's people's favorite superhero around the world, even though he hasn't been in a good movie since that first Superman movie, put, as based on the back of that movie and comic books. If you had put Mask of Zorro on your list, Andrew would have kissed you on the mouth, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony Hopkins? <laughs> uh, do you have, I'm assuming you have Avengers in your top five also? Uh, yeah, so I have Avengers now. Uh, okay. and, and for me, Avengers created the cinematic universe. And there are a bunch of movies before that, and look at the Godzilla movies, uh, where they cook other characters from other franchises and smush them together, Alien vs. Predator. Yep. Um, but this was the first time a studio had ever been like, you know what, we're going to plan this universe out, we're going to do five movies leading up to this, and it's going to culminate into this one movie. I also disagree on the quality of the movie, I think it's really good. I think it's a much like more it. memorable movie than Civil War, and I do think it has the best villain in all of Marvel movies. Who's the villain in that? Loki. Oh, right. He's yeah, I don't and, like and part of the reason for that is it's they do so much of the oh this is a superhero that's the exact same as as the hero that it's up against and then they kill him. Like, I actually like, like Age of Ultron more, which I know is like that's criminal. A, that's yeah, criminal. I know yeah. people think that's insane, <laughs> but just, I just think Loki's a bad villain. I think anytime you have a god against humans, it's just not. I mean, it's a god against, against gods. Well, a god against a god and, and the whole superheroes who bashes his face in. Yeah, he's not a god though. Yeah. <laughs> and then so that was your two or that was your one? Uh, that was two. Then Dark Knight. Dark Knight just yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. it proved the, the superhero movie was to be taken seriously <laughs> like where yeah. Spider-Man proved that they were worth putting money into but yeah. you know so did Independence Day and Transformers movies like the, at that point uh, money that movie that makes a lot of money wasn't necessarily critically acclaimed Dark right. Knight is on most people's top five movies ever list it won an Oscar it's the only comic book movie that I know of that's won Oscars I think we ranked excluding our, special effects stuff. on our top hundred movies we've ever done on AMA <laughs> I want to say Dark Knight was like number Six, five, four, something like that, right? It was super high, I know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's up there. Uh, all right. So my number five, I didn't know I was going to put them in a specific order because it's, it's kind of tough for me to, to figure out which one's the most important to me. Um, but I will say that uh, number five is Iron Man, just for everything that you guys have said. I don't need, yep. to, I don't need to touch on it again. Uh, number four, I went with um, <clears throat> Logan. And the reason for that is Love I think Logan. it's come at a really important time with superhero movies where they're coming out at an insane rate on every platform, whether it's the CW, whether it's Netflix, whether it's online, whether it's in the theaters. Uh, Logan reminded you that you can do more, that you can change things, that you can still make a great fucking movie with superheroes in it. Not a great superhero movie. Right. And I think that that's what's getting lost in a lot of times. I think that's exactly what was lost in Suicide Squad, and I think that's what's lost in the whole Thor series. Like... You need to have this grip of reality, this thing that grounds you and makes it feel real. I mean, like... That's one of the reasons Winter Soldier was so good, is that yeah. it did a similar... Not to the same extent, but it had a realism about it that was more like, oh, this is just the, a movie that happens to have superhero movies in exactly. it, not the reverse. Yeah. And it's just a great film. Um, I don't know any other superhero movie that really made me cry that way, although Guardians is very good. Uh, three, I'll say Guardians is because of exactly what you guys have said. Again, it was kind of like, look, you can do anything now. People are in. We are all in. We love this. Uh, number two, I went with Batman Begins. And the reason for that is that I think... I think the Superman movies are important. I think Tim Burton Batmans are important. We were going to get superhero movies again no matter what. True. That was going to happen. Mm -hmm. as, uh, as who we were as a, as a society and as an audience, especially with comic books on the rise... We were going to get superheroes movies no matter what, which is why I don't think the Avengers is important. Like, it was all going to happen. Um, I know that that's... Yes. Uh, <laughs> but 
my point behind that is that Batman Begins came out and a great director, well now a great director, at the time we were on the fence about him, but it was like, look, we can make, it was the same thing that Tim Burton did back in the 80s, but we're doing it again in a much harder time to make people believe you. Things are much darker now as an audience. Yeah. We want darker, more real things. And this was the first time a superhero movie came out in a long time where we saw it and we were like, holy shit. Yeah. What like, can happen now? It, it, you know? it brought realism to comic book movies. Exactly. And everything else has been great, but we wanted realism. Um, and then uh, my number one is The Dark Knight. It's yeah. just because it's the greatest. And, and, and at that time, again, with what we're talking about, it was bringing that more can be done right. in these movies. You can make an Academy Award winning comic book movie. I mean, like, you let's can do it. Let's just be honest, guys. They increased the number of Best Picture nominations the next year because just the Dark Knight was Dark so Knight. good. Right. Right. Like, that's the proof that you need. Everybody was like, yeah, we should have. We missed it. We missed it. This movie should have been nominated for Best Picture. Right. Um, yeah. So I think, yeah, it sounds like we all have a pretty a pretty strong agreement. You've convinced me, like, heavily on Batman Begins since starting this show. I've, I've argued that point since day one. Yeah. I think it's the most important movie in the whole trilogy. I love Batman Begins. I still do love Dark Knight more, but I think I give the movie a lot more respect and credit now than I did in the beginning. Did we do it on the show? Uh, we did not. And I actually think when I go back and watch them, I enjoy watching... I think Begins is a better film than Dark Knight, even though I think that Dark Knight is more enjoyable to watch for the first half. Does that make sense? The, the Dark Knight, if you take Keith Ledger's Joker out of it, which you can't do, like it's inherent right. to me, but if you take it, the Dark Knight is kind of an okay movie. Yeah, Like the exactly. logic of what's going on and the things are happening and the whole gang stuff is going on and you're like, whatever, versus Batman Begins, which I think is like <laughs> a pretty solid, Yeah, like it's just a solid movie. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. I think we it's all like, can agree. It's a movie I build a house on where the Dark Knight is the movie I'd take go on vacation and Dark Knight has like Dark Knight has like the three or four sequences that are just like breathtaking Mm -hmm. which the Batman Begins doesn't have it doesn't have the equivalent of him jumping off the building or like yeah just like the ledger bank (laughs) like the bank robbery at the beginning of Dark Knight is like the most one of the best scenes ever yeah that bank robbery is (laughs) amazing alright guys fine my number one's Punisher the audience is calling it out. So like, what are you doing? They're like, yeah, yeah. Punisher's close, though. Um, all right, guys. That's going to wrap up our top five most important comic book movies of all time. We're going to get into the next part of the show, and this is Fist Pump Moment. It's that moment in the movie something happens. You look around and like, are you seeing this right now? This is so fucking sweet. I'm so excited to watch the rest of this. Yeah. This movie is like a just giant walking fist pump. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think both of them are. I think yeah. that's what's so great about the yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy. So I'm going to hop in first because mine is the title screen. It's the opening. It's when the song comes on. Mercy, so have it queued up. Is it still there? If you don't, it's okay. But he's walking, and he's you're like, oh my god, it's Chris Pratt. And he does a little. He does yeah. this like weird dance with his arms yeah. up, and the titles come up, and you're like, yes, yeah. This is the beginning. Yep. This is the intro. Yep. I get to watch two more. Out- Fuck yes, well, I am all it, in. It's fun space. Yeah. Which is like something we haven't had in a long time at that point. So yeah. it's like, oh, they're going to do it. Great. This is the Star Wars movie I wanted five years ago. And it's yeah. also like, look at all these people that are kind of A-listers, but they're kind of nobodies at the time. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, except for Bradley Cooper. Well, the, but the like, only we, A-listers, you don't see them in the movie. You didn't know they were in it until <laughs> right. you looked it up a week later. <laughs> yeah, like we had a conversation about how Zoe Saldana was actually a major A-lister at this point, but she has such a weird career. Yeah, she's got one of the... Well, we'll get into that. Yeah, we'll get into that. Pump. But anyway, my yeah, so that is my fist pump. It's the credits, it's the dancing, it's the music, and you're just like, this is this mo- this is this type of movie. Yeah, isn't it? Yep. yeah, it's fun. What do you got? Fist pump moment. Mine's mine's gonna be the whole prison scene. 
Uh, this is the first time we actually get all five Guardians together working together, and yeah. it starts with the whole rant of Rocket telling people what they need to do, and, you know, Chris Pratt, you get the leg, and make sure the last per thing we do is to get the battery, and this entire time you see Groot, like, reaching for it and then ripping out the wall, yeah. Yeah. and then that just escalates into the best scenes, scenes with so Drax, good. where he's talking about things going over his head, yeah. <laughs> yeah. or not going over his head. <laughs> Sorry, Drax. <laughs> so good. And, and it's also like you get the two best Groot and Rocket battle scenes, I think, where mm-hmm. it's like Groot, it's the first time you get like, I am Groot, and he's like yeah. taller than everything, and then Rocket climbs on and steals the gun from the guy and is like, oh, yeah. yeah. And he gets, he gets a sweet thing. Michael Bay 360 shot. Yeah. 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 So yeah, that prison scene is might might be the best thing in the whole two movies. It's so good, and they use the walking down the hallway slowly. Yeah. in the Guardians franchise, better than any other oh, franchise yeah, totally. ever. My uh, I think my personal fist bump moment is at the end of that scene. It's the first time you see the whole team together standing in the like little control tower. Oh, yeah, opens, yeah. When the yeah. door opens and they're all standing there, and you're like, this is this is being a little kid, and this is the cover of the comic book, yeah. right? And yep. this is what it is. And they they took that and they put it in a scene, and it's just awesome. It's just great, like. It, it's like 25 or so minutes, 30 minutes in the movie at that point, I think. And you're just like, I'm in. I'm so in. You guys yeah. have made me love these characters. All of it. Uh, and they built everything. You're like, okay, the the maybe romance between Gamora and Star-Lord that's going to happen at Only some point. Only Marvel movie without a kiss. Ever. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. And and I want to speak on that point with that picture. Ever? Ever. Yeah, I just Who read that today. Who Avengers? Uh, does does uh, Black Widow? Kiss someone in there? Someone oh. kisses in there. No, it's not. not it's um, Gwyneth Paltrow. And I, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. She's like, I forget she's like in that movie because they've deleted her from the franchise. <laughs> uh, she's gone now, right? Yeah, she's not. Oh, she is? They just, was, yeah. She's not coming back. I love Gwyneth. And part yeah. of that, I think, is they're moving because like, they realize that Tony Stark is a better character when he's in other people's movies than his own necessarily. Mm, and they're yeah. like, we'd rather use your contract to show up in the Spider-Man movie and the Avengers. Right, and right. you're going to die because your contract... You're costing us two ha- quarter billion dollars for yeah. uh, shitload of money. Yeah, so Avengers: Infinity War. One thing I want to say about your 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 moment there is, and I know Zack Snyder's going through a really hard time right now, and yeah. I, I, you know, my condolences to his family. But that moment is what Zack Snyder wants to do in his films. Yeah, that moment because we always talk about how he's so good at painting a picture without giving you the story behind it to give you that feeling right. that you get. He always paints the picture without doing the work to get you there. He's a great painter. He's just like, here's the painting. Yeah. What's it about? I don't fucking know, but it looks great. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, we talked about this the other day. Is it, him and uh, Michael Bay are both their music video directors. Yeah, exactly. Like, he, he is very good at printing a very, very pretty picture, mm-hmm. but... What t- James Gunn? I'm gonna say Tim Gunn at least once. In this I thing. always <laughs> think I'm like, I'm like Tim well, Gunn's Gunn 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 the galaxy. Yeah. Um, what James Gunn is amazing Very at good is making you. you love every one of his characters and giving them a unique moment. One of the things yeah. I loved about the second one is I didn't really care about Star Lord's storyline. That's probably the weakest part of that. But all of the other character arcs are so much better. The moments that you get were like. You know, you really see like, oh, Rocket seems like a badass, but then you're like, oh, and your stupid triangle face, and then the camera pans, but you still see him in the background get like really <laughs> sad, and he's like, oh, my face, it's triangle shaped. <laughs> Is a trash panda worse or better than Raccoon? It's worse. Yeah! It's so much worse. <laughs> so good. Um, but yeah, and and that's that's what's important with the movie, and that's what's important with a great movie. You can have as many pretty things as possible, and we're now at the point where you can make anything you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but making you care about those things is what's the difficult part, and yeah. 
these movies are great at doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right, let's move on to star profiles. We're going to talk a little bit about the stars of the film, the major two stars of the film, Chris <laughs> Pratt and Zoe Saldana, the, the kind of leads, as it were, I guess, male yeah. and female. Uh, let's start with Pratt. So what a, what a bizarre career Chris Pratt's had in the last few years. Yeah. Just like, not bizarre. I mean, I, I guess he's in the meteoric rise to fame that we talk about that you I mean, see Travolta in the late 70s. he was written as a guest 70s. star on a show that might not be successful. On TV, yeah, and he was a comic <clears throat> relief too. Yeah, but he wasn't well, even. He, he was, was like, in Everwood. Oh, that's true. He was in Everwood. <laughs> excuse me. The CW me. drama yes. about uh, Doctor moving to the Northwest. <laughs> he was also in another TV show, wasn't he? Was he in that? Some, I think it was something in between those two. Anyway, my point is, is that like he wasn't even supposed to be on that show, right? For more than like an episode or two, but they liked him so much he kept coming back. Yeah, that's like the story of Chris Pratt's life. Is you're not even supposed to be here, but we like you so much. Right. You're like, you're like really likable. He's yeah. supposed to want to keep working with you. He's also like just awesome. Like if you read about him personally and like the oh, way that he yeah. handles himself in real life, it's just the he's the coolest. I I, I like absolutely love Chris Pratt. So uh, but yeah, the stuff that he's got on his docket before this, her in twenty thirteen, Delivery Man in twenty thirteen, the Lego movie in twenty fourteen. Now, the big relevant Chris Pratt roles that happened before this, the movies that people remember other than Lego movie, are Zero Dark Thirty that he's got a part in not a huge part but a part in yeah. and that's a big Oscar movie and then he also is in Moneyball which is the other big movie that he's got a pretty big part in you drastically forgot Jurassic World <clears throat> no that's after this it's after oh yeah. you're yeah. saying it timeline wise prior to this movie yeah so Moneyball is Moneyball's the one where he got he got like a pretty significant character he's like mm-hmm. a, an important piece of that movie that movie was nominated for best picture a lot of people saw it um and he's he's kind of a lovable underdog in that movie who doesn't believe in himself. Uh, and it's really just 2012 to 2014 is where the world was like, oh, yeah, this Chris Pratt guy. Sure, we'll put him in movies. And then it's like flash forward three years and it's like, oh, that Chris Pratt guy. He's like, you know, top three, top five stars in the world right now. And, and I do think <laughs> some of that comes on the back of Parks and Rec because Parks and Rec had a, a similar kind of era of becoming good because when it first came out, it was when we were kind of inundated with faux documentary shows. The Office was just starting the tail down and so it was like oh do we want another one of these Drop yeah the mask. 30, 30 um, rock was right. like yeah coming around and but then A we started realizing Amy Poehler was great and yep. like all and then like if you look at pretty much the entire the cast way. of that show all Amy, Amy uh, Aubrey Plaza is also doing really well Aziz um, Aziz Ansari is obviously doing Their really well whole cast exploded and, and Offerman the big difference yeah. is that like of them Chris Pratt was also the one that got really really hot halfway through his yeah. career he went right from dopey dude to I mean like we talk about the, the number one like shirtless <laughs> scene in a movie and like yeah, Brad Pitt is it, but this one's close when he's like covering on the orange Jack stuff. Pratt. Yeah, because yeah. it's like the first time I was like, wait. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's because you know the transformation. You know how hard it is to do that. Like, was he just like a genius savant where he's like, all right, guys, here's the plan. I'm just gonna be, <laughs> I'm gonna be <laughs> fat for the first ten years of my career. I'll be in a bunch of movies. I'll be chubby. I'll be funny. I'll pull, I'll post pictures like this, and you know that's like the picture that everybody always shows. Yeah. And then uh, you know I'll just get jacked for a movie, and the world will be like, oh, I like this guy. He's funny. Yeah. Oh wait, he's Jack too. He's a star. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, well, I mean, like, I mean like, that could be exactly what he did. That's what Andrew Guy's been doing since Gossip's Finest. Planning this for years. <laughs> I mean, it's what Tom Hanks did. I mean, Tom Hanks was the goofy, lovable guy, but then he also ended up being really good. And, yeah. And, yeah. And and less to extent of Harrison Ford, but that's like there's a likability factor that comes with this like leading man that the world wants that yeah. Yeah. he embodies in a really really important way. Yeah, we always call that a superstar charisma. Yeah, or yeah. leading man charisma, and he's. <clears throat> he's got whatever that it factor is. However, I do want to get in the conversation about Chris Pratt and him being overrated, underrated, or properly rated. This guy has got the world at his feet 
Um, but he does movies like Passengers. And he's in that point now. He's at that Sam Worthington phase in the mid-2000s. He's at that Christian Bale phase in the late 2008, like 2009 period. Yeah. Is he oversaturating himself? Do you want more of him? Is he already getting too much? Is he not getting enough? Are we seeing... What do you guys think about Chris Pratt? Yeah, it's like, is it's, it's that whole it's that whole <laughs> thing when you're watching the movies, you're like, how much more does this guy have to offer before I'm just like, I'm tired of watching Chris Pratt be Chris Pratt. Right. Uh, there's very few examples in history of those guys, those Harrison Fords, getting to just do the gimmick forever and right. nobody getting sick of it. And that's why if I was him, I would look heavily at Tom Hanks' career. Because he, around <laughs> this exact point, went into a little bit more, oh, I need to do one or two real dramas and one or two comedies. Yeah. And Chris Pratt is kind of locked into his genre of high-budget, high-sci-fi, high-concept you know, action movies and Jurassic World was bad. Uh, this uh, not magnificent. I'm glad that you feel that way. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. Jurassic World was not Me a good too. movie. I'm glad you feel uh, that way. <laughs> we don't disagree on every movie. <laughs> um, uh, was the the. Ma- not Magnificent Seven or Magnificent Seven. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Magnificent yeah. was not good. It's okay. It's okay. And he's sweet in it. Actually, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's 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 a it's a mediocre Western movie. Yes, yeah. Um, and Passengers was relatively derided. Um, I didn't watch it. it nor, nor did I. The yeah. issue, like I've seen fan edits and or I've seen reviews of fan edits more, and the fan edits do a better job with that movie than they did with it. Well, uh, it also has the whole problem, all the controversy about the consent thing, which is yes. like, and that happened with that. You know about this? No. There's a scene in the movie where basically, like, they get wasted and they like sleep together. And no, that's not. So the con- that's not what the consent thing. Or is. she's wasted or something. No, no, no. So he wakes her up without asking her, and it plays them off as the romance thing. But he kind of like doomed her to die that's oh. like the plot of the movie and that's what people had a problem with so like spoilers oh. <laughs> but the entire first of the movie makes him really endearing and you want to like him and then he makes the ter- decision that's terrible to wake her up against her will huh. and then she's now doomed with him to just die together and then she finds out and then it's just like oh it's okay we love each other let's save the oh, show that's what it is i thought there was a whole thing about like lack of consent some sex thing that i, I read about and it's not that it, it's that it, it is that's lack of consent it but it's lack of consent Got on it. a, it's a more of an ethereal lack of consent than a just a blatant full-on thing, and and the fan edits that I've seen make him a villain. That's yeah. what they do. The way they make the movie good is they make it so that the answer was he shouldn't have done it, and he gets punished for that. Not that oh, this is a good idea. The uh, fun fact about that movie: it's directed by Morton Tildum, who directed, I believe, unless I'm mistaken, the Theory of Everything. Or no, it was the Imitation Game. He directed one of the two best picture nominees oh, from like crazy. 2015. And then he directed Passengers as his next movie. It was like, well, that movie was supposed to be huge. Yeah, yeah. it was supposed huge. to be like incredible. Yeah, it, was it like, had it was two of the not... best actors at that time. It, it's a high sci-fi concept. Like it's supposed. To, he probably was trying to like, I'm going to make my 2001 Space Odyssey, yeah, and yeah, then exactly. it was like, yeah, I know that movie really. Came so, how do you feel about him at the at the end of all this cast? How do you feel about? I think Pratt? right now, if he continues as he is, he's overrated. Okay. I think if he can pull off. Either Jurassic World Two is good, or you know, one or two non-sci-fi movies that kind of help him, then he's going to be in a better position. Yeah. So um, right, what about right now? This overrated. moment right now. Do you think he's proper? Oh, over, over. Overrated. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I, it's not a big overrating. I yeah. mean, I think he did a great job in Guardians of the Galaxy, but I also think he was probably the weakest part of two. He was. Yeah, um, I do agree. With you that. can you can open it and there's what's going on in there. There's a yeah, you have to blow up. You have to do like. The Benicio del Toro, another great background shot of uh, Rocket because he also does it behind him when it's happening, and I didn't notice it until my rewatch last night. And I'm like, great use of background CGI character. I love Benicio. What Um, uh, what do you think? I think he's. I I agree. I think he's overrated. And my my reasoning isn't exactly the same. I definitely agree with every point that Kessler's made. 
But my point, it comes from an acting stand of view. Yeah. I don't think Chris Pratt's a great actor. Hmm. I think he's good. I think he's got great charisma. I think he's enjoyable. But in watching Guardians 2, and even in Guardians 1, a lot of times when he's got to get to his point of his mother being lost and his sadness, and this is like very technical for me, but it's like, he's always angry. And I get it. Your mom died and someone, but like, you can't play that one note as an actor through two movies. Even if that's the whole thing is like, someone killed my mom and he finds out uh, something happened, you know? Right. I'm trying not to spoil number two yet. Yeah. Um, and we, it hasn't been a month, you still can't do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what, what were you <laughs> going to say? It's a month period. Uh, I kind of disagree. <laughs> I mean, and, and this is partly, you know, the, I live tweeted watching it last night when I rewatched it, and like, the ending of this movie is like great. It's one yeah. of the reasons you I walk think away that's so the best moment it. in his whole career on film. And, like, when he opens the tape and there's like tears in his eyes, and like, and he has a few more moments than I think you give him credit for for that. Mm-hmm. Some of them are very CGI'd, so it's hard to see, like, when he's like sacrifices himself for Zoe Zeldana, yeah, and yeah. like, but. And in other movies, I agree, like, his most emotional stuff is in Guardians of the Galaxy, which I think is the issue. And that's why I say I think yeah. he needs to do a non-sci-fi movie like this, where it's not about how likable it is, but it's about some other facet of his acting. See, I want to speak to what you just said and then respond yeah. to what you just said to what he just said. Because I, I think it's interesting that, like, Chris Pratt's definitely in that moment right now where he's under the microscope. And I think that if he wasn't in that moment where he was under the microscope you probably wouldn't have the opinion of he's not that good of an actor because it wouldn't be like you need to give him that much credit. Like, to his credit, coming from Parks and Rec, being who he was to this point, I think we would be like, he's a pretty good actor, but it's like the world is like Chris Pratt, top star. So you're like, well, I hold him to a very high standard now. I still think he's a top star. I think he's a good actor. I just don't think he's a great actor. Right. You know what I mean? And I don't think that he can pull off those great dramatic things. I think he's like he's like maybe uh, Hugh Jackman at the beginning of his career. See, I think when you get to the point that he's at now, it's almost like you're flying so close to the sun, the microscope gets so, so tight on you mm-hmm. that the, this idea of like what it takes to be a great actor becomes a very... It's like a much more high-concept thing to people once you're that kind of a star because it's like, well, I'm, you're making all this money. People have this association with you being this blue-chip guy. The guys that I know that are blue-chip like that are the Hugh Jackmans and the Christian Bales and right. these huge people that can do anything. They can win Oscars, they can franchise, you know, lead franchises, and it's like the only reason that you even have that discussion is because he's so famous. Mm-hmm. And so I think my gut tells me that Chris Pratt's a good actor, but I agree with you, we haven't seen it from him yet. Like a really great moment. He hasn't done the drama yet. Mm-hmm. He hasn't made his... It's in this movie or it's not anywhere else. Yeah, and this yeah. is his first yeah, yeah. movie kind of coming out. And, as and a, again, as a that person. moment at the end when he's sitting there with with the the mixtape volume two is is beautiful. But again, I think, I mean, you cut the scene, you put a couple eye drops in his eyes, you cut back, and that's you got movie magic. But I think the reason that scene's so great is because the way it makes all of us feel. Because yeah. the music is the best character. Yeah, in the movie. exactly. <laughs> because the music is the best character in the movie. Um, but yeah, so uh, I my my point is that he's he's overrated right now, and I and I think I stand firmly behind that because I just don't think that he's he does. I just don't think he deserves everything he's getting I, in acting points. I think Chris Pratt. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go properly rated. Barely. I'm gonna mm-hmm. go into the middle and a little bit more. And I think he's one movie or six months to a year away from me agreeing with you guys completely. I think we will see what the next thing he's in that is not a comic book movie. And if he, it's like. Did he make a decision at some point during this run to take a role or read a script and say, I want to do this, that was going to put him in that position? And that's what it really comes down to. Yeah. You can blame your agent. You can blame your manager. Bottom line, be a smart actor and make that decision at this point. Because right now, your stock is here, and you need that. If you don't do that, 
you fall off a cliff. Yeah, and let me say this about my point. I want Chris Pratt to succeed. Yes, totally. I want him to be a fantastic actor. I want to watch something that he does and be like, holy shit, I was so wrong and I'm so happy to be wrong. Well just because the stuff you read about him, like, you know, yeah. taking the stealing the stealing the outfit from sets that he could go to children's hospitals and have them visited by yeah, Star Lord. Sick kids want to see Star Lord. Like that's why you do it. He's just know? like and you watch him on red carpets and he's self deprecating. He doesn't take himself that seriously. He's just awesome. He's awesome. He's a great star and he's the kind of star that we want more of. Uh, and I I hope that yeah, I hope he does get that movie and I hope that he doesn't kind of fall off and become that I don't want the Sam Worthington effect to happen if Chris Pratt no, it won't because he's already so much better than Sam Worthington yeah. is, but yeah. I also think he's not overrated the way a lot of us like. He's not yeah. overrated, for instance, how Jennifer Lawrence is overrated, right? Where, where like it's dangerous she territory. Was really good in the few Oscar, the the, the yeah. what's his face movies, Winners Bone, Winners, David Winners Bone, oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. David Russell movies, and, and and she's probably the worst part of First Class. Probably she's decent in second in in X Men. Um, Days of Future Past. Oh, sure. I mean, everyone's bad in X Men Apocalypse. <laughs> Make Fastbender boring. I don't know what you can do to save that movie. Yeah. Um, but she's probably overrated. Chris Pratt is not close to that level of overrated. Yeah. I, I, I think he's possibly overrated, or he. I think it's more that he's on the precipice of very soonly either being considered overrated or underrated, depending yeah. on what his next movie is. Agreed. All Which, right. Let's. let's I looked up. It's Jurassic World and Avengers: Infinity War. Or oh, the what? two next movies he's in, yeah, uh, and then yeah. it's Cowboy Ninja Samurai, or what? sorry, yeah, Cowboy, no, Cowboy Ninja Viking, and the real McCoy. I don't know what that one is. Well, hopefully, so all right, let's <laughs> quickly discuss Zoe Saldana because we made reference to this a minute ago. Yeah, Zoe she's... Saldana, right? Three of the biggest franchises of all time: Guardians, yeah. Star Trek, Avatar, and she's the star of all of them, of essentially, all of them. And she also starred in Columbiana, like she got her own action movie f- franchise that was gonna like. This we were talking and we were watching the movie and you're like yeah I mean no one's I mean Bradley Cooper's an A-list you know event she's the most famous person really at the time the point this movie comes out she's the third major franchise Other than Brad, Brad, sorry her and Bradley Cooper who were actually currently they were dating right before this movie started that's right they were in that yeah. movie the words together she, she was the most famous person on set yeah how about that yeah 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 yeah, yeah for sure Bradley Cooper didn't wasn't in the movie until after they filmed it yeah day. yeah that's a great point to put it so he was she was the most famous person on set but like who, who where are you Zoe is, is Zoe Saldana an A-lister Straight up. I would say no. Right. How bizarre is that? Right? You want to say yeah. she's high B. Yeah, that's insane. So no, I mean, the, like the, the, the way to kind of way I establish A-listers is, is the middle America person who only sees five movies a year know her name? Yeah, yeah. I, and that's the so is funny. No. I always do that. Yeah. Like, well, if I ask, like, I, I work in the toy industry and I work with a bunch of people that live in, you know, Arkansas, Ohio, and, and if I ask anyone who's always held on, they'd be like, uh... That's fair. Uh, no, I don't know. The and Midwest, like, the nexus of our country, the place yeah, that we all seriously. use examples <laughs> in media of what doesn't reach there. Um, <laughs> and so, like, <laughs> you know, on the conversation of overrated, underrated, or well-rated, I think she's underrated. Yeah. I mean, the fact that she's good in these huge franchises but isn't being lauded as this A-list actress means something. She's being underrated. It has has to be. Uh, Yeah, I agree. I agree she's underrated. Why? Well, I think there's a couple things. I, I think it's... She's not a very good actress. Sometimes, yeah, I haven't I'll seen. I haven't seen a, like like her actual dramatic roles. I haven't like I haven't gone to find them, so I can't really speak on it. You know what I mean? But she also hasn't had a prominent one that we all like are aware of. Like this movie, Out of the Furnace, that came out in 2013. That had a bunch of actors in it that I remember. Yeah. That was Christian Bale and mm-hmm. like was it Casey Affleck as his brother in that movie? Woody Harrelson, right? Yeah. Like that was a drama. I didn't see it. <laughs> I wonder if she's good in it. But I also think that Hollywood is extremely sexist and. That she is a woman of color, so like that, yeah. That's, she has there's a big barrier. That's in front basically of her. what we got down to in our discussion is like that's why she you are 
incredibly beautiful. You yeah. are incredibly famous and successful. You are an A-lister. Like, by definition, even though I agree with the point yeah. of, like, no. They, I, I go, Mom, do you know who Zoe Saldana is? She goes, I no. She, I she has that. the pedigree of it. An For sure. Yeah. She walks in anywhere in L.A. and everyone loses their shit. And you don't most book places those movies. Like, bottom line, t- talent, no talent. You don't book those movies unless you're talented because those people that are booking you, the James Camerons of the world, they can tell. They know if you're good or not. Totally. Right. And, like, she didn't have the Mark Hamill and Leonard Nimoy effect of, like, are you in Navi? No. Oh, no. You're in Star Trek. Oh, yeah. no, no, no. You are now the Guardians of the Galaxy girl. Like, it is so hard to do that. Yep. You know, so... I mean, she has more big franchises than Chris Pratt does. Yeah. She has more big franchises than almost anybody. I mean, so why? Why, why, why? I think part of it is, I mean, like, on the woman angle, it's how many women really get picked to be the the only one that can lead big franchises. And on top of and that, it's like she's, it's low, which is messed up. And she's young and she's sexy, which is like you get you get typecast. Like the yeah. kind of success she's had. Jolie got it in a different way, but it's, she's also white. Yeah. You have to have you have to have that one thing that that elevates you, otherwise it's very difficult for the world to see. So anyway, let's move into the uh, the <laughs> production development on the movie who made this movie. Uh, so first and foremost, this is really interesting. James Gunn, for those of you that don't know, James Gunn is like indie hero. He's like a guy who was a musician. He had a band. He made indie movies. He wrote them. He wrote the script for Scooby-Doo 1 and 2. He wrote the script for uh, Dawn of the Dead, the 2004 one. He became like the first director ever to have back-to-back uh, top movies at the box office. The first writer ever to do that with Scooby-Doo 2, I think, and uh, Dawn of the Dead. And then I love he, that movie. Yeah, it's a sweet movie. Yeah, Dawn of the Dead's like one of the more underrated. It's like kind of what brought zombies back. Yeah. Do you know who directed Dawn of the Dead? I did know this and I'm forgetting. This is Zack Snyder. When Zack oh, Snyder yeah. was like not doing the Zack Snyder thing, he was doing that. He did that and then he did 300. And <laughs> Kessler's just dropping Kessler all just of his lost things. his outline. <laughs> yep. Well, I'm just uh, going to let you guys we'll share there. We'll share. <laughs> so then Gunn makes this movie called Super. If you guys remember that movie with Ellen yeah. Page and Rain Wilson, I think I saw it on TV once, maybe. It's on Netflix. Yeah. I watched it after seeing Guardians of the Galaxy. And it's charming and fun. And that was what he had done, though, is the crazy thing. That was the biggest movie he had done up to this point. So people were like, James Gunn, indie hero, do this movie Guardians of the Galaxy. And it was written originally, the original script was written by Nicole Perlman, who was yeah. in the Marvel screenwriting program. She's known as the only woman to ever pen a Marvel script. Yeah, which is crazy. Yeah. Uh, and she wrote the first draft of the script, and when she was in the screenwriting program at Marvel, they were like, here's the list of franchises you can work on. And she was like, I'll pick Guardians. Like, really? <laughs> She's like, yeah, it sounds interesting to me. That sounds fun. So she wrote it, and then James Gunn came on and revised the script with her. Voila, here we go. She, they write the movie together, and this is a huge hit. So, like, that's the whole... That's her first script. And now she's attached to, like, seven other Marvel properties, including Captain Marvel with Brie Larson. Yeah. I mean, uh, this is something I've been thinking. I mean, partly through this episode, now that we're kind of going through it, and especially when we went through the music and everything else, I think James Gunn has the potential to be the next Quentin Tarantino. Hit, like, Quentin Tarantino was the first person to really have a really good relationship between characters, music, and mm-hmm. plot and interesting ways of kind of developing that plot in a large cast. I mean, if you look at Guardians of the Galaxy, it's really comparable to Reservoir Dogs, up to including the scene walking down the hallway together to the good music. Um, I completely agree with that, because there's something about what he does in this film, and you and I spoke on this right after we finished watching the first movie, because it was actually the first time you'd watched the first movie in its entirety. Spoiler, I had seen seen about half this movie, but I had never watched it all the way through. Which I thought was crazy. (laughs) I don't know how it runs. Yeah, right? It's crazy. Um, Taking this back. (laughs) He does everything perfectly, but you don't know what it is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. You can't exactly place your finger on why this film succeeds in every way. 
because the characters aren't perfect. The mu- I mean, the music is perfect, but like, there's just something about it. Like, because even in the beginning, when we talk about uh, to go back to Zoe, I think a big part of why her character isn't so enjoyable is like the writing for her in the first movie is not that awesome, yeah, especially in the first half. Um, but they, he does have that it factor that Tarantino had when he first came out, to where you're just mesmerized by his film because he does. It. He creates this whole world, like this whole thing, and you're just in on it. Yeah, you know what I mean. I think part of it is is like a combination of witty dialogue plus heart in that dialogue yeah. that kind of gets across. And he's attention to detail. Like there are things that I watching this movie now that I now remember from seeing Guardians Two of like the troll doll that Peter Quill gives um, Yondu uh, at the very end instead of the in, this thing inside yeah. this rock yeah. is like all over the second movie and then the eyeball that Baby Groot gets in the second movie and brings them when she's trying to get all the different things for them is the eyeball that Rocket asks for at the end of this movie he's like get me that guy's eye and he's like what's what one of my (laughs) favorite parts is when they're all battling in the prison and it just cuts to to Star-Lord leading on the wall he's like you won't my what? <laughs> just really need your leg. Just I really just, need your leg. <laughs> so good. He's like, oh, I didn't need it. Was he <laughs> just hobbling around? <laughs> oh yeah, I love when he brings it. Yeah, I, I agree with you guys. I think there's a tremendous amount of talent here, and and uh, I'm what I'm really hoping is that much in the way that we got after Begins and Dark Knight and all that that. Nolan's career really became this special thing as a special filmmaker, not just a comic book filmmaker. That's just where he got his stripes. Mm-hmm. I hope that we kind of get something similar out of James Gunn, where he gets to like leave the Guardians franchise after the third movie right. and do a couple original films with a big budget that are going to be awesome. Because I think he's got, he definitely has a vision that is special, and, and I'm excited to watch that. So, um, aside from that stuff, basically he produced and wrote the Belko Experiment. That was that movie from this last year about the people in the building all trying to kill each other. Oh yeah, it looked really it. funny. I didn't see it. Yeah, I like, it, it was did. like one of those. Oh, I want to see that movie, and then my fiance was like, I don't want to see that movie. I'm like, and I guess I'm not going to see it. Never did. <laughs> totally. So um, that's pretty much that. Aside from that, the producer the only one we're going to talk about is Kevin Feige we've never gotten to talk about Kevin Feige on here because we hadn't done a modern day Marvel film yeah he's Mm -hmm. the guy if you know anything about the Marvel Comics universe you know that Kevin Feige is the head of he's the president of of development with Marvel I believe Um, yeah so he leads the Marvel cinematic the, the the Marvel um, studio president so, of production for Marvel yeah, yeah. yeah. so so you know the I, I, Ike Perlmutter is the president of Marvel yeah and that's why like the, when you look at Avengers two that's why it was bad right no sorry no, no, no I get it I get it <laughs> uh, was that and that's also why uh, yeah. Ant Man had the problems it had and yeah. why I, we I, didn't I, get the perfect Ant Man yeah. movie and we got what we got which was fine it was just a generic movie versus right um the uh, well Edgar Wright version of Ant-Man yeah. was because Ike Perlmutter is this notoriously terrible person <laughs> or it just is like it very cheap and has these effects on things and was very nitpicky on what you couldn't and couldn't do it's the reason that Marvel got really into like hating on uh, the Fantastic Four and, and Fox mm-hmm. stuff because Fox had them and he was the kind of the person behind got it. it and it's why Joss Whedon hates Marvel <laughs> now now betraying them for the Batman movies uh, or DC Universe so yeah I mean pretty much if you guys have followed at all the way this all went we've talked a lot about Avi Arad with the original run because we've now covered Blade and we covered uh, Punisher uh, and he's the guy Avi Arad is effectively the, the same thing as Kevin Feige for that era of Marvel he was like the, the guy that orchestrating all of it Kevin Feige just seems to have a better grasp on what works and now that the train is rolling I mean he gets he gets the credits for the successes and the failures they've just sure. had a lot more successes than they had failures and he's the, he's the studio head yep he's, he's um, you know Jack not Jack Kirby but um, the guy who, no, who, runs, who ran Pixar now runs Disney's animation Mike Ovitz? I don't know. No, no, no. 
Uh, I mean, I know this. Okay, we'll, we'll skip over it. Long but, story yeah. short, but, I mean, let's be honest, guys. The number of moving pieces and people involved in these movies with how much money they cost is it's a huge, ridiculous... He's the, he's the face. He's going to be successful with this being successful, the guy steering the ship, until it's not, and then he won't be anymore. Because yeah. that's the way this works. It's not, he's not directly responsible for all these movies. He's just the guy at the top when they're getting made. It's like when you fire an offensive coordinator or a coach in football or in coaching. The in, machine's in sports. way too big yeah. for it to be Kevin Feige. It's not I mean, just one person, well, ever. But, but the reason... I I would say that the reason Warner Brothers Cinematic Universe has not been successful is because they don't have a Kevin Feige totally. and haven't had one. He's steering the ship. Like, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, yes, if you know, you can hire a new captain for the ship and you can hire a talented one. There might be someone else other than him that could do this job. But because they have him and because he is as talented as he is, that's the reason Marvel exists. I guess my point is he's the only listed producer we're going to talk about right now. Mm-hmm. I'll bet you if I was to look, Guardians of the oh, Galaxy like probably has like 13 producers, yeah. Yeah. As, they, sure, as, sure. as they all but do. But he is listed as the exec pro. And so. you would meet somebody at a bar and, and they would say, I produce Guardians of the Galaxy. And you'd be like, really? And you'd look them up, and they'd be one of the 14 yeah, producers. Right. So that's the way these movies work. So anyway, let's talk about it. Zoe Saldana's 38. Yeah, I think I knew She's that. She's not young by Hollywood yeah. standards in any way. Yeah, she broke on the scene mid-30s. Incredible. Yeah. Um, all right, so moving into box office critical. Is that yeah, what we're doing now? All right. Uh, this was where everyone's minds were blown in the world. So Buena Vista produces for $170 million. It was released in August, a late summer film. Um, what were you guys thinking when you saw this trailer? Oh, I was like, that's interesting. They're making a Guardians of the Galaxy movie? I was like, crazy. I was like, this looks fucking stupid. I'm not going to watch that. <laughs> I had my favorite song of all time, I guess. So yeah. I was like super hyped. And, and I'm already a Marvel fanboy at that point, mm-hmm. so I'm going to see every movie that they come out with. I, and I, seen, I knew I was going to watch it, even though I said that I wasn't going to. Yeah. You know? Intrigued, curious, those are the two words I would use. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say, I would have, I didn't walk out going, I'm going to watch that. I think I walked out being like, Oh wow! They're just making all the Marvel movies now. Oh, no, I, I was the guy telling everyone, "Like, guys, this movie's going to be big," and like everyone's like, "No, it's not." There's a dumb raccoon, and I'm like, "No, no, 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 no!" First off, <laughs> not a raccoon. Okay, uh, he's a trash panda. Second off, <laughs> we're gonna. I mean, walking into this, there was a, like at Comic Con before this movie came out, there, they had already announced that they had already greenlit the sequel. Wow! So this, two yeah. months before this movie was released, Marvel already kind of believed in this movie. And on top of that fun space adventure where, like, basically at this point we'd been really in deep in the fantasy world. We've yeah. done Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter and then superhero movies, which are generally more fantasy than sci-fi because they're like, oh, magic happened. Yeah, yeah. So getting a movie that's coming out that's supposed to be kind of the next kind of Star Wars-y like thing was something that I was super excited for. Definitely. Yeah, and uh, I, I just wasn't because I thought it looked ridiculous. I thought that the Marvel Universe was spinning out of control and I was so pleasantly surprised. I was sort of in the middle, but yeah, you were talking about how much yeah. money it made here. So there you go. Three hundred. <laughs> $133 million domestic and 440 worldwide for a grand total of $773 million. Three quarter of a billion dollars for a movie that no one had ever heard about. And on top of that, it opened at 94. So let's throw this up. We have the worldwide graphic of the top 10 Marvel movies. Um, we can blow up here and check that out. I think I actually threw top 15, but I really just want to look at the top 10. Guardians 2 now has made more money than this worldwide. Um, which is insane. But that's, that's sequel. Yeah, it makes sense. Sequelnomics. Yeah, no, agreed, agreed. Um, but you can just see, like, it's... I can't see, actually, because I'm blind. But uh, the... Yeah, there we go. So, I mean, worldwide, those Spider-Man movies have still made more money. But, yeah, you've got The Avengers, Age of Ultron, Iron Man 3, Civil War, Spider-Man 3, Spider-Man. Guardians 2 is now the seventh highest grossing Marvel movie that, have, that has been made so far. It's been out for how long? 
yeah, like two month. weeks or yeah. three weeks. Uh, Spider-Man 2, Deadpool at ninth is crazy. 783 yeah. million well, that's worldwide. It's still number one rated R movie of all time, right? Yeah. It's insane. And then Guardians of the Galaxy is, is number 10 with $773 million. Um, so <laughs> that's the era we live in. That's most of like, that's like half the highest grossing films of the last decade. Yeah. And this is this is comic book movies or? Marvel. Marvel. Just Marvel. Marvel. Yeah. Just Marvel. Just Marvel. Okay. I don't have my glasses yeah. so I can't yeah. read it. Um, so yeah, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's where this movie is. And the third movie will make even more money. Now what's crazy yeah. to me is they're spending a billion dollars to make uh, Infinity War 1 and 2 a billion is, yeah. that, is what yeah. they're spending so are they going to make 2 billion is that the plan they're going to make a billion dollars each is that the theory well even if you make I mean like yes but some of that's just they're aiming for if they just do the 773 million number of Guardians which right. the other Avengers movies beat yep. you're going to be making money yeah um Part of that also is a, it does, you know, yeah. It does get to that point though. It's like you're, you guys are literally <laughs> only making movies to make money, and now you're not even making the type of money that you want to make yeah. anymore because your movies cost so much money. Yeah, a billion dollars to make two movies is like that's it's insane. The only reason we're even comfortable saying that out loud is because we've done this show for like a the year. Great so. directors <laughs> and producers are rolling over in their graves right now, being like, "You can't make a fucking good movie for a half a billion dollars." Oh, a, lo- a lot of that though is is just after paychecks. That's I get that's that, the big like for sure. Robert Downey Jr. is making two hundred fifty million dollars on those movies. That's a quarter yeah. of the budget we're talking about, so and crazy. half of one of those movies. Which so is, like, which is, also which is also why he's probably dying. Eighty in those movies. million <laughs> more dollars than this movie costs just yeah. to pay down. So, <laughs> moving on, uh, this movie opened at number one at ninety four million dollars. No one saw that coming. <clears throat> Critically, I think it's. I guess it's not in the top 250, or else I would have written that. I thought yeah. it was. Uh, it's at 8.1 on IMDb, which is incredible. Yeah, really high. Uh, it's got an audience score <clears throat> of 92 on Rotten Tomatoes. Top critics, 84, and all critics of 91. 92 is consistent with the way uh, the best yeah. movies we do on the show. The audience score is always the highest. It was nominated for two Oscars for makeup and visual effects, which I think is super cool that uh, they went that way with uh, Gamora and Drax, because like, yeah. they both a- wanted to do that. They thought it would mm-hmm. be more authentic, and also, like... It just looks better. They look great. Yeah, yeah they look, both they look, of them. Yeah. fantastic. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I guess that brings us to our next segment, which there's so many good ones. Yeah. But our favorite line, yeah, favorite gentlemen. line, guys. So I'm gonna jump in first, just because I am excited about this one. I didn't understand. So I read Drax the Destroyer, the comic book series from like the late mid mid 2000s, I think is what it was. Annihilation. There was a whole event they did with Marvel. I read a lot of that stuff before this movie was even in production. And I remember Drax as a character I had the comic book cards with him on. This was not at all the way I envisioned Drax in a movie, but I was so pleasantly surprised when watching his, like, the whole idea that he doesn't understand sarcasm, that everything that he hears is taken literally is just hilarious, and Dave Bautista's perfect at it. So that line is perfectly embodied when they say, uh, it's over his head, and he's like, nothing goes over my head. My, my <laughs> reflexes are too fast. <laughs> I just, like, fell out of my chair laughing. It's like yeah, my favorite line in the whole movie. dying laughing at that. He's so fucking good. I have a lot of them, actually. Uh, what's your, what's your, what you got, Kess? Uh, I, I am Groot. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna take it. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I mean, like, there are apps now that can change an entire website to every word just being "I am Groot." Like, it's one of the more classic things of this movie. It's the most quotable line yeah. from this movie, hands down. And it just, Groot. yeah. I mean, maybe we are Groot from the emotional yeah. standpoint, yeah, but that's it's a good moment. Yeah, we are Groot. Uh, I have a lot of them uh, to to add on Batista. When he's like, when did we establish that? He's like, like three seconds ago. He's like, I was not listening. I was thinking about something else. And I was like, that's me. That's like me in my life. Uh, the 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 guy that uh, Baby Groot kills, I think, in the yeah. second one. He goes, uh, 
in the beginning he's like everyone's heard of that right and he's like yeah yeah and he looks back at uh, uh, Rooker and he's like no no <laughs> and then uh, he takes the knife and he's like that was my favorite knife yeah, it's just like great. real subtle yeah. great comedy um, and then my little Star Lord the letter from the mom yeah. was just really sweet yeah really touching. Definitely. and great the fact moment. that that's where he got his stupid nickname that everyone can't remember is from his mom is, yeah. is awesome yeah yeah, yeah it's awesome um, Something uh, I, I just remember this talking about great lines. I was like, oh, is there a line? But there's not because it's just a whistle. But uh, a, a non-picked fist pump moment would have been when uh, Yondu kills all those guys with yeah, the air. Yeah. Like the entire time they set it up, it's like this scary thing. You're like, whoa, why? And then yeah. at the end, he just murders like 30 guys. Yeah, just anytime like, Yondu uses that thing, you're just like, Jesus, I could do anything with that. I know, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the prettiest scene in... And, and maybe the best scene in Guardians 2 is when I, I he, him and Rocket walk to the prison. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure. And Baby Groot. Sorry. And Baby Groot, yeah. Baby Groot just is the MVP of both movies, period. Like, no Groot question. and Baby Groot. Yeah, yeah, Baby Groot at the end. Baby Groot's just the best. Yeah, I, I tweeted after watching it, filming it, <laughs> and I'm like, in bed, my room is dark, and I like zoom in on the TV, and I was like, this might be the best thing to ever think. Yeah. <laughs> so I know. I, my, uh, I was um, <clears throat> visiting my family over Christmas, and my brother in law was finishing watching Guardians, and it was just the end, and I just saw. Uh, Batista and Baby Groot and I was like I need to go watch that movie like yeah. it made me so happy just to see that <laughs> yeah it's amazing alright guys uh, we are going to get into the last discussion here on Action it's Movie Anatomy which of the three action movie categories does this film fit into there are three the first category is totally legitimate those are going to be movies like The Fugitive and Lone Survivor which just hold together and they're dramatic and they don't fall apart Inception they're they're not silly. They're just legitimately intense movies. Uh, yeah. Then there are totally ridiculous movies like Con Air and Face Off. Uh, Demolition are, Man, Running Man. Yeah, they're silly. You really like just like laugh your way to the bank the whole time as you're watching it. And uh, it's not the correct use of that phrase. And then um, the middle category is uh, ridiculously legitimate. And that's like the combination of ridiculous and awesome. And it's usually driven by one really compelling element. You do laugh unintentionally here and there. But it's, you know, Point Break and Predator and movies like that are in that middle category. So... This one is intentionally funny, so it's a it's a it's a weird. But I'm gonna just jump in and say I think it's totally legit. It's like a perfect movie. Yeah. Um, the silliness is real silliness. Like I, I you know I went on vacation this weekend with, uh, for Memorial Day weekend, and we were with a bunch of friends. I'm like, oh, you know, people just regularly have dumb conversations <laughs> that they're trying to rip on each other, and they're funny, and there's jokes. That's like a normal thing. So from a realistic perspective, that's fine. And then everything else in the movie is pretty like just standard sci-fi space adventure which can be totally legitimate yeah, yeah. Um, I'm gonna say that this movie's ridiculously legitimate but it's not because I don't think it's legitimate I think it's because of the way it makes me feel I don't want it to be totally legit I don't want right. it to be a movie that I talk about I'm like I put it in the same category as, as Lone Survivor because this movie is is so much more fun it's like so much it's like such an experience to watch it that to give it a totally legitimate outlook is like I don't want it to be totally legitimate. right. You want it to be. I in want the middle. it to feel fantastical. I want to go into their world. I want to be. I want my my imagination to suspend a little bit. You want you it know? to be silly. Yeah, like, yeah, I want it to be that way. And and I think that they do it perfectly. I think this is maybe the most perfectly ridiculously legitimate movie we've ever done. Yeah. Well, I guess th- my point on the totally legitimate side is, I wish we were more willing to accept movies like this as totally legitimate. Right. Like mm-hmm. it. You know, the fact that Oscar bait is a concept and that only movies that fit into that, like, window are the things that we're willing to say, like, these deserve an Oscar. And, like, when something like Mad Max or Avatar is, and I don't like Avatar, but it was nominated for Best Picture, right. is, like, nominated for Best Picture, is like, oh, that means it's really good. Instead of, like, no, most of these movies are really good. You just 
have this high horse they're like unless it's totally serious the whole time and everyone dies it, like we can't love this movie and like I think that or this movie can't be taken seriously and yeah. I think that's unfair as a concept and something that we should get back yeah Pass. yeah I, I definitely understand that point um yeah, I don't know. I just feel I just feel that it's just ridiculously legitimate. I think you're totally it. totally fine rating. I, I totally yeah, 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 I yeah. agree. I think that it is like Guardians One could have been like a best picture yeah. contender for totally. sure. Two I, not it so it, much, but like it would never be because of the point you're right. Making. I mean, if you look at that year, it's always like where you know the concept of maybe the Oscars should really look at the two years behind because like it's so hard to really judge the best movie yeah, in the right same year then. you're in. Like you put Logan on your top five list, and I didn't, but I didn't mostly because. We don't know what it's going yeah, to do. Exactly. We, it, yeah, exactly. We discussed it, that a It came lot. out a month ago, yeah. you know, or I guess three months ago at this yeah. point. But it's hard to rate what your favorite movie from that year is. Like, at the time, I think I rated Force Awakens over Mad Max when yeah. that year came out. But looking mm-hmm. back at it, Mad Max is the best movie of that year. Yeah. Um, yeah. Followed by Force Awakens, but that has more to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, we only have one last Pretty thing to based. do on the show here, and that's going to be called The Pitch. Uh, and we don't have a movie to pitch this week. We were kind of in this new territory because there's so many options and we're full of a summer with all these big I movies I think we should out. just do The Mummy. I was Pe- thinking about people that. People are like, really want us to do The Mummy. Yeah. Brendan Fraser. Stacey Howard's going to kick the door down. Yeah, Stacey do Howard will need to be here. Um, let's tentatively maybe talk about doing The Mummy, but we'll put something up on our Twitter. Okay, it's relevant. Yeah. There's a Mummy movie yeah, coming exactly. out. We're excited. There's this movie... The reason I don't want to see that movie is because there's not Brendan Fraser in the new one. No, Brendan Fraser was so good in the <laughs> or original Or Rachel mummy. Weiss. Yeah. But we have Tom Cruise, which is all we need on this show. <laughs> Guys, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. If you want to follow along with any one of us, you can find me personally at Ben Bateman Media. You can find our podcast at AMA Podcast. Where can the folks find you guys? Uh, you guys can find me at Andrew Guy on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Kess Wiley or the Masters of Modern Podcast that Ben is also on talking about Magic the Gathering and be sure guys to check out the brand new action movie Anatomy Facebook fan page started yeah. by the listeners and watchers of this show there's been so much interaction it's been a freaking blast it's absolutely awesome and watch out for us on June 13th to the return to the Schmodown. Andrew and I are going to be returning to uh, detonate a bomb in the hopes of late to the party because those guys we're going to kill lose. them we're going to kill them on camera are your dad's going to join this time I don't have a father <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening guys uh, well I just want to say thanks again thanks for coming yeah, in Costa, thanks, guys. Kessler thanks for I miss being on camera with you. It's been yeah. so long yeah. since we've done this. So. This is no longer a little makeshift bat cave yeah. where we like yeah. duct taped a poster we stole from a comic book shot to a, a wood wall. It was gifted to it us. Was, Guys, thanks for watching. <laughs> thanks for listening. We'll see you same time, same place next week. Bye. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.